process to get to it. And there's no process to leave it, because all there is is that. So the mind, the conditioned mind, cannot fathom what it is. So it tries to have conceptions of it. That's the best it can do. And when it has a conception of it, you lose it. And when you try to give it a quality, you lose it, because it doesn't have any qualities either. It's truly that neutral position I believe AA talks about, or recovery talks about, where you and I will be placed in a position of neutrality. That neutrality isn't sour or tart, you know? Isn't like sweet or sour or whatever. Isn't like this color or that color. It's neutral. It's like nothing. But enough of that tonight. I feel like Let's just talk about thoughts yeah? and the difference between a thought and my thought. Because if you entertain this information, I think you'll travel lighter through your day. That's not my intent, but that's sort of a byproduct of it. Because the act of identification is the distortion. It's a verb. It's not something that happened a long time ago. It's something that's happening now. Like we read last week, the head right now is representing what's going on. So it's taking conscious contact and making up a story out of it, which is, I'm in conscious contact. And barely doesn't even spend one second on I'm in conscious contact. It mostly it goes right into what I'm in conscious contact with, right? And what I should be in conscious contact with, and what I shouldn't be in conscious contact with. And there's very little attention or honoring of the conscious contact. There's always... So conscious contact can be described as seeing and hearing, feeling, tasting, smelling. And actually, in Buddhism, they see the, the mind and thought as a, a sense. See, the mind senses a thought like the eye sees a bird when it flies by. So those six points of contact, conscious contact, yeah? it's not you in contact, it's conscious contact. Consciousness is in contact, yeah? The scientist is the consciousness. The telescope is the body. The telescope facilitates the consciousness to see itself as other here. That's the job of the body. The consciousness can see itself as other when it moves through the body. Just like the scientist can see the stars because the lenses in the telescope bring them closer. Obviously it doesn't bring them closer, but it seems to bring them closer, yes? The stars are just where they are, but the telescope facilitates the, con the scientist seeing it. It seems to bring them closer. Well, the same thing. Consciousness coming through this can appear to be something different. Yeah. So this gives consciousness a reality of being this and that. In other words, all there is is this, consciousness, but when consciousness moves through this apparatus and the split mind, that we are, this becomes this and that. Yeah. It separates. And it, it's like in Taoism they would say there was the one undifferentiated energy, Wu, and then there's two aspects of that one energy which we call yin and yang. Yeah. So the one energy has this little activity. It's all in the one energy, but there's an activity in the one energy which is like the energy polarizes, yeah? There's like a movement within the energy. This is just, this isn't the truth. I'm just 
painting a picture. So there's a movement in the energy, and it seems to polarize the energy into yin and yang, which is male, female, right? And if you ever look at a yin and yang, there'll be what black painted and a white. Yes. In the black, there's a dot of white, and in the white, there's a dot of black. So yin has yang, and yang has yin. And actually, if you take yin to the extreme, it turns into yang, and if you take yang into the extreme, it turns into yin. So really, there's just one energy, but there's movements that you could call different. Yeah. So the energy comes in, polarizes, and then the interplay between these energies, this is Taoist, this is how Taoism saw them. I hope I'm putting it the right way. The interplay between these two forces create the 10,000 things. And that was the Chinese way of saying everything. Yeah? The 10,000 things are made by the interplay between the same energy. There's none other than that one energy, but it polarizes, and this energy, the same energy dances as if it's different, and in that dance, the 10,000 things appear. And that was the description of the whole world of things and objects. Yeah? So... The scientist is looking at the telescope. The telescope has lenses and a certain setup that it can create or make it seem like the stars are closer. But the stars actually don't travel closer. Yeah? If you move away from the telescope, the stars aren't right here. Whoa, the star gets so close to me. Now, the star hasn't even moved, but the telescope facilitates the appearance yeah, of the stars being closer. So the appearance of this place seeming real yeah, is based on the telescope's lens. So the conditioning of this object causes this place to seem real as things. So the undifferentiated light gets unnoticed, and now it's noted in differentiation. So this, 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 blah, 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 yeah? The emphasis on that, but in fact, nothing actually happened, in a way. If the consciousness would leave the body, it would not see as it's seeing now. Yeah? It wouldn't facilitate the seeing of things and of opposites and of 10,000 things. It would not be facilitated to see that. It has to be captured in the prism or the telescope or the camera. When it's in the camera, it now sees itself as other. Yeah? And then the dance begins. What happens is... This object, because consciousness is seen through it, there's a mistake by the head in a way. It claims to be the seer. So the telescope goes, forget the, the scientist, I'm seeing. Yeah? I'm seeing all these things. But once the scientist is forgotten, the seeing will keep happening because it doesn't leave, because all there is is consciousness. But the seeing will turn into a way of looking. And the way of looking is expressed in one term called dualistically, yes? Duality. You see everything in comparison, either or, yes or no, hot and cold, day and night, love and hate, all of this. They're two sides of the same coin. You cannot separate the two. You, no matter how many times you cut the coin, you cannot make it a one-sided coin. There will always be another side. So when someone talks about being free here, they're reinforcing the belief in being bound. It's impossible not to. If you're thinking out of this system called self-centeredness, when you think of being free, you're reinforcing the possibility of being bound. Yeah? You can't escape it. And when you think of the idea of being bound, what drives you crazy in that being bound is the possibility of being free. You won't accept the boundness 
Right? Because you believe there's a possibility I could be free from this, when in all intents and purposes, many times you cannot possibly be free of it. That's the way it is at that time. Yes? So, there's total non-acceptance in this, because as soon as you entertain the one, you entertain the other. Yeah? As soon as you entertain the one, oh, this screw, this sucks. Yeah? Then I'd like it to be different. As soon as you want it to be different, it increases the suffering of this thing that sucks. Because now, it's not just that it sucks, it doesn't have to suck, which is even more painful. <laughs> Literally. It doesn't have to suck, which really gives you the zinger. So, let's say there's a missing of something. But then what it does is tells you you really long for what you miss. Yes? So there's a missing of something. Oh, so what? But then let's say there's a missing of something. But in that missing, the opposite is reflected. Hey, I really long for what's missing. Doesn't it even create more suffering then? When you long for what you're missing? It's a trap both ways. Getting out's a trap. Getting in, being in is a trap. There's no escape. None whatsoever. There's degrees of bondage. So it's like you're in hell, in a sense, and it's just a, to paint a picture. You're in hell, and it, you tell this, you think there's many different hells because the degrees of the fire are different. Yeah? But it's basically hell. You're bonded to an idea of being a self, which is totally based on thinking you have tons of options, when you never realize the choicelessness of life. The choicelessness of life is you are spirit, let's say, or you are consciousness. There is no if, ands, or buts about that. You are not a body, and you are not an individual mind. Yeah. But we can run around believing we are, and in that believing, hope, there's a huge amount of hope, obviously. Yeah? And then the hope is that you'll be special somehow, being this individual. And so the head, knowing it can't create, it makes up facsimiles of what the reality is, of wholeness and love, yes, of peace and serenity, and it makes a really distorted view what it believes represents love and peace and serenity and this and that. So maybe you become successful by exploiting others. That's not the love that is that love. Yeah? But it plays God. It plays God. It knows very well from whence it came, but it refuses to accept that, so it wants to make symbolisms and replicas of what it thinks heaven is. So heaven is living in a gated community, let's say, with a heated pool and a sauna, you know, security guards all day. That may be its idea of heaven. So that's where it is. Yeah, I've arrived. I'm successful. Look at what I have. All the things that symbolize that I'm okay. But when you notice, a lot of times we're moved that way, if you haven't been in the past, when you get those things that symbolize let's say, peace and happiness and joy, it doesn't translate a lot of the times to peace and happiness and joy. And even if it does for a period of time, it usually runs out very quickly. And then you have to seek for another replication of peace and joy and happiness. And all you're relying on is self to tell you, to describe you, what it would look like for you to be okay and where to go and what to do to get that. Yes? So now you're forced into the slavery of seeking for what you already are. But you're not even seeking what you are. You're seeking symbolisms and replacements and changelings and substitutes for what you really are. 
And the split mind that's making, because it can't create, it's making these replicas, you have to realize its definition and its confinement in a very small system called self-centeredness. It cannot think outside the box. It's the idea of heaven and hell are in the same location. They're just different corners of self-centeredness. So let's say in youth, you believe and you hope that being special will do it. That if I arrive, whatever that means to you, when I arrive, maybe when you graduate from school, have your first kid, or buy your first house, or do this. And I'm not talking about kids and houses and having dogs. And don't, I don't care about that. I'm saying what it represents to the mind. It represents a replacement for what you actually are. So I'm going to acquire something that will take the place of me in my life. And of course you have to look for saviors here because you feel like you totally need to be saved. And it can't come from you, it has to come from another. And of course when you meet a savior, you really like them in the beginning, then you hate them a lot of the time. You end up despising them because they're a terrible reminder of what you truly are. And your mind does not want to take that reminder. It wants to be special and a long-lasting independent separate entity. So when you say you want to be free, I would really question that. I believe most of us want to want to be free. And that free is a certain way we think it should look. And when we come across real freedom, we will usually judge it not to be free because it doesn't look or fit what we've read or this or that. So who's playing God at that point? The head and self is playing God. It's telling you what the aroma and scent and the vision and the sound of God would be or whatever you want to call it. And it has no freaking idea and it will never admit that, so it makes up things. So let's say you watch it master, and you miss out the love that's constantly emanated, and you judge him because he did this or did that. And you say, no, I will not receive anything from him. I saw him look at that young girl or something. Insane. Yeah? So every time someone shows up with the message, there's something that you can find wrong with him or her. So what? What you deny is the message. The message by judging the messenger. I heard talked with someone the other night, because a lot of people know me from the old days in AA, and they were, I, this guy was, this whole time was talking, this guy says, oh, I don't want, I don't want that message. But really what they, they don't want the messenger. I would pull this message up to any scrutiny, in the book or out of the book, anytime, anywhere, I would hold up this realization right at the masters of all the book masters. And I put it out there. It's not the message. It's the messenger. So it's very easy to throw the bathroom, the bath, you know, the baby out with the bathwater. Because why? It has nothing to do with the messenger. It's the fear of the message. When I was a kid, when I was young, you know, I had a father and a mother. Everything was cool. We weren't rich or anything. We were low, my low middle class, I guess, whatever that meant. But it was, I didn't have any abuse going on. I lived in Massapequa at the time. And everything was cool. And uh, when I was about six, my father got sick, really ill. And uh, he stopped playing with me. Yeah? 
He stopped going to my tryouts, or whatever. He stopped playing ball with me and this and that. And I'm sure a number of my uncles and my family sat me down and told me, Paul, your father's really ill. That's why he's not playing with you anymore. But it didn't matter even if Jesus Christ showed up and told me that. Because what every life was being interpreted from the point of view of self-centeredness. And the only way my head saw anything was how it pertained to me. So when my father stopped playing with me, I knew I must have done something to cause him not to. This became a cornerstone of this insane foundation of selfing. And it's just that freaking simple. You can take the, the simplest slight with, that wasn't a slight, and you can make it... You can't. The mind makes it into the... The bane of all banes. It will always be under the surface. And most of us are driven by what we don't see. It's totally obvious. Yeah. You believe you're moving towards things, you're actually moving away from something. Every movement towards out here, when you think, oh, he's really into doing that. It's not usually you're really into doing that, you just don't want to go there. Yeah? So you get really busy doing this and doing this because you don't want to go there. You've got to see duality and polarity. One movement begets the other movement. There's no movement just this way. Most of them are in together. Yes? So this, woo, I have, I'll do anything not to go there, so you start doing anything. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's quite a dilemma if you make it a dilemma. Yeah? And there's no possible way you can get out of it if you believe you're in it. Seriously. There's no way. Because being in it is... Being out of, getting out of it is a way of being in it. Being, getting out of it is a way of being in it. That's why I humbly believe the best way to get out of anything is realize you were never in it. It's the only way that works because you negate playing the game with the coin of the realm. Yeah? It's not in and out, close and far, get into self, get out of self. No, there's a realization you were never a self. Yeah? And it cancels the game. And therefore, you're not at the effect of the game. And therefore, you don't get the, the demerits or the bonuses of the game. You get a new freedom and a new happiness, a new attitude and a new outlook. Not the same attitude and outlook just revved up and turbocharged. You know? Not another complicated conceptual freedom and happiness that won't hold water when the shit hits the fan, but a new freedom and a new happiness because... Something occurs. You have a natural scene. You naturally are conscious. That consciousness has been captured by the obsession with the telescope and now every scene is a way of looking at an imaginary fucking sky hoping that's the lucky star today. So what I found after years of AA... The first thing, the first big hit I ever got was at the level of thought. Thought, thought, thought. And over the years, what I saw most people in recovery need the most, if you need anything, well, you do as a human, as a being, as a Paul, is immunity to thought. That's where it all starts, yeah? And the feelings and sensations. But the thoughts is what revs everything up, usually, yeah? Because you don't even know what you're feeling, in a sense, most of the time. So those thoughts... Some, in some research, they said you have 70,000 thoughts a day. That's incredible. Or let's say 70,000 thoughts, probably most of them you're unconscious of. Let's say maybe 5,000 thoughts you're conscious of. 
So there's 5,000 birds going by this window, and you can't take your eyes off of it, and you can't close your eyes. Maybe you'll take a narcotic to try to close them and everything. But basically, your consciousness, if your eyes open, you're going to see whatever flies by. So let's say 10,000 things are flying by every day. And you're seeing them. And every one of them, every one of them is being held in an older thought or an older belief. Two of them, actually. So there's the seeing, 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 seeing. But I don't see this. The way I'm seeing them is I'm the thinker of them. They're my thoughts. And, or, they're about me. And there's never been a thought ever about you. Ever. Never. A thought could never be about what you are. It's way prior to thought, and you can't be captured by thought. But a body sure can. Yes? So, here's all those thoughts going by, and there's a seeing of them. And right underneath, you don't see it, underneath the the lens of the telescope are these two old beliefs. I'm the thinker of every one of these thoughts. You don't say it every time. It's just assumed now, yeah? You don't say, hey, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Do you? No. It's just like what every thought's held is, I'm the thinker of it. Yeah? And or, they're about me. That's the bonding to the thought. The thought now becomes my thought, and it turns into something totally different than a thought. Because a thought has an ability to come and go. That's its nature. But my thought gets stored. And what happens is it keeps coming. It gets regurgitated, comes back up, comes back up, comes back up, comes back up, comes back up. So you are rethinking most of the time. There's a rethinking. So the thought, it's not gone, it's not able to come and go now, it just gets submerged into memory and then something triggers it and it comes back up. And then you think it's different because you're under the illusion or under the trance of it, yeah? So you believe it's the same old, but if you ever did a 10-step inventory, which I did for a couple of years in one journal, two journals actually, after like a year of it, I looked at them. And basically every night it was the same thing. I'm afraid of, then fill in the blanks. I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of. So it's the same thing, just regurgitating itself with different scenery, different geographics, different objects, but the same thing. Yeah? So you're refeeling, you're rethinking, you're rehashing over and over and over again. The system, see this, like my friend told me, I like this one. All the other senses are circular, but this mind is uh, binary, yeah? It goes ding, 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 ding. It doesn't, it stays in one, it stays right here, where senses happen like this. Yeah. You see something outside, it comes back, yeah? But this doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go out. It's just so, and it's driving us freaking crazy. Yeah. Isn't it? As of someone in AA, you should know. It's what we call obsession with self. Obsession with self is unable to break away from the trance of following the thoughts. You have no power over them. Yeah? You can be in the most perfect day, a day that you so ardently prayed for and wished for, for years. And if you have five certain thoughts, the day is gone, gone. Bye-bye. You have no ability to embrace that day because you're drawn and sucked into the attention and interest in that. Yeah, isn't it the case? 
So I would say an immunity to that activity would be damn nice little event to start entertaining. And we're going to share that with us. You know? Which is, if the my is seen, yeah, that is the act of identification. It is not the thought that defeats you. It's the act of identifying with it. It's not self that defeats you. Because you could ask everyone in this room what self defeated them, and they'd all have the same answer. Myself. The my represents the act of identification. It's the act of identifying that defeats you, not the thing you identified as with. Not the thoughts, not the feelings. It's the act of being identified as the one who's having the feelings and the one who's having the thoughts. Because yeah? that doesn't allow those thoughts and feelings to follow their nature, which is to come to go. They get turned into an orbiting around you as the central theme, Paul. Yeah? Now, this gives you an incredible sense of relevance, but it also drives you crazy. And that's the dilemma. You don't really want to give up the sense of relevance, so you're not really so into really giving up the craziness. <laughs> because your whole life is based on being relevant. And when these thoughts and feelings are let go, you'll see you're truly irrelevant in the sense that you want to be relevant as. You're not irrelevant at all. You're all there is. But to the sense of being a special little action figure, you're irrelevant. Life doesn't give a damn about your opinion. Has nothing, doesn't even, doesn't even see you as an individual, right? Have you ever argued with reality? Did you ever win? Have you? Oh, it's like it doesn't listen to you. Exactly. Yeah. So... I go over this every all oh, lot of the time. You come into a recovery group, and of course, one, what's one of the biggest facets of alcoholism? There's many of them, but one is called terminal uniqueness. Yeah, you're terminally unique. In other words, the uniqueness is killing you. You're so sure that no one ever has felt like you have felt, and you're very sure no one ever did what you've done, and you really know that no one thinks the way you think. And you come into a recovery meeting, and hopefully maybe it'll take one night, maybe a couple months, but if there's not too much cotton in your ear, you'll hear people share what? Feelings, thoughts, and reactions to life. That's what we do. Yeah? And if you're open to it, it, gets you, it brings you to two points, and only two points. Either they got my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions, or they're not my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions. That's the beginning of the immunity of the thought. When you can entertain them, not yours, you'll start having immunity to them. Because it's not the thought that's driving you crazy. It's your identification as the thinker or, or the object of the thoughts. I'm telling you, I've looked at it. Yeah, I've seen it in my own laboratory. Everything is being displayed right as you are while you're walking around all day. You may not like it. Sometimes it's... Uh, because the conditioning is, no matter how much consciousness is available to you, it doesn't always have to change the conditioning of the telescope. The telescope may still have the same blind spots, but you'll see them. So that's what occurred with me when I, after a few years of being sober. When I entertained, the leap I had wasn't that... Severe. It was, I made a very tiny little leap, which made total sense. Most of the thoughts that are happening, the way they're happening to me are alcoholic thoughts. 
because I figured I couldn't say that they weren't mine totally, but I realized that we all had the same thoughts. Yeah? And so I called them alcoholic thoughts. And when I did that, I had some relief from them. And what I mean by relief is some of my interest and attention that would be glued to those thoughts was released from those thoughts. Not all of it, but some of it. And that's some of, of attention and interest. When you lose interest in something, you do not lose interest. You just lose interest in what you're interested in. You never lose interest. Interest is an energy. There's not a quantity of it. You don't have a certain amount of interest and attention. There's a huge reservoir of attention and interest. But you do invest it in things. Yeah. And in, if you invest it in, let's say, the things of the mind, of self-centeredness, you will lose the feeling of interest and attention. There won't be the appreciation of the awareness that's involved in it because you'll be, intend you'll be attending to and interested in the same old, same old. And you know what? It dulls your mind. Seriously. You get dumbed down in a way. You get a dull mind. Your clarity is forgotten. You become unconscious. By the own, by the, the whole thing that frees you, you don't get freed, but that thing that's an incredible energetic clarity is what binds you when it's put in the wrong objects, yeah? So the biggest object that's put into, the biggest meaning that you could give anything is that it's you. And this apparatus has given a thought and a feeling a sense, which is called a sense of being a long and lasting independent separate entity, this head has given that thing all the biggest meaning of all, that it's you. So your interest and attention, like homing pigeons, keeps going back to that. A lot of times you enjoy it, yeah? But a lot of times you wish you could get a break from it, but it's an impossibility. It's their homing pigeons. They just keep going back to the same poop. That's when you have a huge desire to get fucking loaded. Because you want to get some break from it, yeah? You want to be able to sleep that night. You want to just have a couple of hours where you're not dwelling over the, your past mistakes or your future hopes so incessantly. I saw it when I was a kid. I remember I used this example because it depicts something beautifully. I was 11 years old. I was walking through the hallway at school. And, you know, some girl, nice-looking girl walked by and said hello to me. And I actually went home and wondered what she meant by it for five hours. <laughs> I mean, I just went in my room and just tried to figure out every possibility that was, that was, that was insinuated by her just saying this casual hello. You know, I mean, it was like trying to find a, like a number, two computers. It's insanity. It's, it's insanity. It's called selfing. Yeah? And it's hijacked our attention and interest. And the only way it's hijacked it is because we've given the idea of being a self the name of us. And our interest and attention is like a homing pigeon. They're like homing pigeons. They go to whatever we think is us. And no matter all you're yapping about it, philosophies, if that's your belief, they will still go there. You can have 20 freaking philosophies that won't hold water at all. It won't, has it? How many people? So many people could have, you know, have a a library this size with self-help books. I bet you if we had a little bonfire, just this group, we could keep this town lit for three nights. And we just threw our self-help books in there. All right, everyone, bring your self-help books to the big bonfire. It'd be giant fire. Throw them in there. Some of them probably never even broken in the seal. You never even read it. You just saw the thing. How to be in the moment. Yeah. 
I'll get this one. How not to be in the moment? Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing you got to see too. This belief that you're out of the moment is a lie. You have never been out of any moment that you've been in. It's an impossibility. No matter if your mind wants to time travel and thought, you do it right here. You cannot go anywhere. Every time you're worried, thinking about the future, it's happening now. Every time you're re reflecting on the past, it's happening now. The now is a choiceless situation. There is no choice in the matter concerning you and the now. There is just now. Without the now, there wouldn't be a you. And without you, there wouldn't be a now. So this idea of having to get into the moment has fueled tons of book sales and seminars and you know, public radio station shows and everything. But I totally, totally believe it's just, once again, it's living in, the, in that false coin of the realm of I'm out of something and therefore I want to get in it. Yeah? Have you been good at getting into the moment? How can you get into something you're already in? Yeah? Wouldn't you think if you're already in something, if you try to get in it, it would actually be being out of it? Getting out of it? So, your drive to get in it is actually the act of, the illusory act of being out of it. You can't be out of it, but you can seem like you're out of it by trying so hard to get in it. <laughs> so, thoughts. Well, I think it could be monumental. At least, if, let's say 2,000 thoughts are going through your head. If like 50 of them were held to be not yours, you would have a major radical shift in your traveling here. Seriously. Because what happens if your interest and attention isn't captured by the thoughts? It doesn't mean it goes somewhere else, the interest and attention. It's, yeah. And it has a homing device prior to the one you inserted in it to go to what you really are, which is what? The consciousness. So that's the sensing of the presence. What gives presence, what gives a sense of being is something that's aware of it. Yeah? which is presence. And it means exactly what it's trying to say with the word. It's not past, nor will it. It's presence. And the now isn't a then, yeah, or a will be. It's, it's now. There's an immediacy in the reality here. So that's what I did. I, I, it wasn't a big leap. It was just obvious after a while. I listened to a lot of people, and I could not believe that they thought like I did and felt like I did and react to life like I did. And after a while, it dawned on me, the reason why this is the case is we're all seemingly different hosts, but we've been taken over by the same parasite. And the same parasite doesn't have millions and millions of characteristics. It's one parasite. And they're very well-defined characteristics. And most of them were revealed in the big book of AA in 1935. But they've been worked on, and more has been revealed over the next 70 years. Most of us, if you read the book, you'll be able to recognize what you were calling you. You will be recognizing the act of being you. And it's not the act of being you, it's an act of alcoholism. <laughs> do, you see the, do you see the possibility there? Because if you believe something's you, you can't entertain being free of it. The only way you can be free of it is by killing yourself. You know, having it come to an end, so it stops driving you crazy. Yeah. But if you entertain it's not you, 
your mind can entertain being free of it because it has a diff- it's separated now from it. It sees it as something other than itself. That gives it the right to be free. Yes, from it. I've watched it. People are identified as self. They cannot truly entertain being free from it because deep down they believe they are it. They cannot entertain being free from it. It's impossible. Their mind of self-centeredness cannot understand that. So they therapize it, they try to socialize it, they try to get it self-esteem, then they shoot themselves or something else. But they can't entertain being free of it. But if it's not you, what do you think your mind be, will be able to do almost immediately? It will immediately entertain what it could never entertain when it was identified as it. Hey, I can actually be free from this. And that's the beginning of recovery, true recovery, is when you entertain, you can be free from it. Or is it like in the book it says, we are a hundred people that have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. If it was a hopeless state of mind and body, would there ever be a possibility of recovery? If it was a truly hopeless state of mind and body, there would be no possibility of recovery. The whole key word is seemingly. And seemingly means it appears to be true or false to you. So you are giving alcoholism, yes, the sense of being a hopeless disease of mind and body, because at the bottom line, you think it's you. What am I going to do with it? It's going to be brought to a point where I'm either going to kill myself or something, because I can't get rid of it, because it's me. I've been trying to therapize it and socialize it and recover from it. It doesn't seem to be fucking working. I have 20 years of sobriety, but I'm totally bummed out. I'm going to blow my brains out. Because the head couldn't go to the point of freedom because it's identified, it's in the root of the problem, which is not obsession, it's identification as. If you're identified as something, you're married for life to it. What are you going to do? You can bitch about it, whine about it, but you can't entertain being free of it. It's a marriage you never entertain leaving until death does you part. And maybe you'll do it on your, with your own hands, yeah? Or maybe you'll live an extreme life and try to die that way. But that's the only way you can attain being free of it. We're just saying there is such a strong possibility because you're not that. So where do I recognize it? We're not saying argue with your thoughts or fight your thoughts or try to win them over or make them better thoughts. This isn't an affirmation practice or anything like that. It's realizing you're not the thinker of them and they're not about you. If they're not about you and you're not the thinker of them, what will naturally happen, very either quickly or over time, you'll lose interest in them. When you lose interest in them, that's the diminishing of what's driving you crazy, which is the obsession itself. It's just that simple. Because your interest goes to what you believe you are. If you really start entertaining, you're not that. Your interest will be freed from it, and it will go somewhere else. Maybe you'll lose interest in yourself and gain interest in others, like it says in the AA. Maybe you'll see what you can contribute to life instead of taking out of life. All of these are examples of a movement or a shift or a psychic, you know, a shift of psyche. 
These are examples of it. You're leaving the self-centered modality and you're now accessing another modality which does not have self at its center. Yeah? And just like you're expressing perfectly separation, longing for what you'll never get, miss being ignorant of your true nature in self-centeredness, that same apparatus, that same telescope, when it's cleared up, will express beautifully the closeness of the stars. If you're not special. You are not specially bad. You are not the only one that can't be redeemed. None of that baloney. It's all seemingly so. Yeah. It's appearing to be true to f or false to you, and it's the you that's the deal, not the ability to appear true or false, because that's what happens here. But the you is the important thing, because it's what's giving the meaning of what's true and what's false. Yeah. The you is giving the meaning of it, of what's true and what's false. So what we want to be free from is the you giving the meaning to things of what's true and what's false. So we'll allow something else to give the meaning to things about what's true and what's false. And then maybe you'll see blue is blue and red is red and orange is orange. And all this confusion that you believe you're constantly in will start lifting. You'll know what's going on here. You definitely won't know what it's going on too, <laughs> but you will know what's going on. I'm totally, this is like how many years? I'm still moved by this message. It's freaking, I, I'm, it's like... like that note. It stops you in your trap, doesn't it? That's like that message is to me. When I heard this message, it stopped me in my tracks. And then the foot soldiers of selfing sort of sat down and something dawned on me. I started entertaining just the intimation of freedom. But after a while, I was getting a lot of nice samples of it. And you'll know the tree by the fruit. If you've been eating really good fruit, why do you need a scripture about the good fruit? It's the meal of the good fruit that indicates the tree. Not that there are stories written about it. Yeah? And the same thing with a bad fruit. Bad fruit will indicate you're underneath a bad tree. Just like Jesus says, you'll know the tree by the fruit. You can't know the tree. It's impossible, but you can know it by its expressions here. And those expressions are how you're traveling, eh? Are you obsessed with what's not happening all day? Or are you pretty much engaged in what's going on? So, I don't know. Any questions tonight? Selfing projects what's not happening, and it over overrides what's happening. That's called 
how selfing plays God. In, in our recovery book, it says you need to quit playing God. That's the how and why of it. In other words, that's a pretty important aspect of the program. It's the how and why of it is to quit playing God because it doesn't work. That's playing God. Selfing is going on. Your interest and attention is into it. And therefore, it conscious it creates what's not happening to override what's happening. You can't create it because it's not real. It makes what's not happening override what's happening. So you become, by becoming hyper-conscious of what's not happening, you become unconscious of what's happening. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, you would say so. I mean, you can't, that's a, you can't get much bigger playing God than that to override what's happening with what's not happening. It's not even another happening. It's what's not happening. I mean, you gotta, you got to be so into it to make what's not happening seem to be more important than what's happening. It's can't even, you can't even compare the two. Because one has one quality that the other one doesn't. It's happening. You know what I mean? I mean, that's all you need to know. Hey, let me see. Let me compare the two happenings. Let me look at the pros and cons of it. Okay. I really like the pros of what's not happening. But there's one little bitch of a con. It's not happening. (laughs) Well, don't worry about that. I'll think it into happening. No, you won't. All you'll do is get obsessed and absorbed in it, and you'll forget what's happening. And you forget what's happening, you're not going to be in the neighborhood of the presence. Because if they say God is everywhere, I don't know if you were Catholic, I was Catholic when I was a kid and we used to go to catechism, so they'd say the three things. God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent. He's everywhere. And I always wondered why, how can I not be bumping into him if he's everywhere? Because in my little head of, because when I was a kid, it was all, it was everywhere. But when I got into introspection, I started living in a special somewhere. And in that special somewhere, the everywhere wasn't there. Yes? In the special somewhere, there wasn't the everywhere. There was a special everywhere, but that wasn't the everywhere. So, in the everywhere, my head made a little bubble. It's sort of like in the ocean, a little bubbles of it. And then you move into the bubble, thinking you're different than the ocean. But when the bubble pops, it's all ocean, yeah? So there you are, living in your little bubble of a special somewhere, and it creates an immunity to the everywhereness of things, yeah? And of no thing, really. And so you, it's like the fish in the water. The fish is the last to know that about water. Because it's so immersed in it, it doesn't notice it. We're so immersed in consciousness as consciousness, we don't even notice it. All our attention and interest goes into being a thing. And we totally forget the no thing, and then we suffer the slings and arrows of being a thing when truly being a no thing. The ignorance creates suffering. We're ignoring the fact of what we are. And then what we want is we want everything to get better, but just as we are. You don't see that just as you are is is in cahoots with how things are with you within the world. They're exactly this. They're playing each other. No, I just... I want it to get better. I, I really, and I, I'd accept if it got better, but I want it to get better just as I am right now. <laughs> just as you are, is it you? And it, we're miracle workers. Can you imagine when people talk about, we haven't seen miracles in years. In the old days, Jesus is doing all these miracles. Every freaking person in this room has been performing miracles all day. We've been raising the dead of what's not happening. And resurrecting into what's happening, 
and we're allowing it to override what's happening all freaking day, called condos and this and that and this and that. You're miracle workers. You're calling what's dead back into life by what? Remembering it, thinking about it, thinking about it, re-feeling about it. Because how can you experience what's not happening? It's not happening. So you, ex- you create an experience in your body, in what's happening, and it's called being obsessed with what's not happening. But it doesn't conjure up a reality of what's not happening, because it's not happening. You can't get over this giant hurdle. It's not happening. I don't care how much you think it, how much you feel it, you cannot bring back last week. You cannot speed up Friday coming. You can't. I have not seen one person ever make what's not happening become what's happening. All right, folks, we're gathering at the park tomorrow, and I'm, uh, we're all going to sit there, and I'm going to bring up what's not happening into reality. All right? You will never see it. Because what's happening will always trump what's not happening because it has the quality that it's happening. That isn't playing God. You can't get past that point as being playing God. I'm going to play God. I'm not going to accept what's happening. I'm going to just get absorbed in what's not happening. Fuck you, God. If there's, there's no God, but that's basically what you're doing. Fuck you. I don't like what you're presenting because you're never even here. I'm going to represent it into, in, in a nicer package. Yes? We're on the star, and it's all about me. And I'm special. Yeah, how does that work out? You have to realize you're playing with a dualistic thing. What you think is going to bring you enjoyment, fantasizing how great it will be, will bring you suffering because you will em- you'll fantasize how terrible it's going to become. You can't escape it. And most of it's like 80-20. 20% may be good, 80% usually bad, isn't it? When you're thinking about the future, are you thinking about all great things? If you may start out with thinking about great things, but then how terrible it is when I lose them. The emphasis is always on a sort of a negative aspect of it. You know, geez, I don't have any, I don't have any 24-7 freedom from it. I get to feel it even more than ever. But there's an underlying aspect in it that I know it's not true. But it doesn't mean it doesn't hit the body and the brain. I've been sick a lot this year, physically, and it's been like chronically little nagging things all the time. And to the head, I've seen the, one of the basic things of the head. It actually doesn't want to be in a body, but it has to be because it uses the body for its identification as being real. So it, it would love to fly the coop, but it doesn't want to fly the coop because it would have no reality without this identification as you. Because you wouldn't, you don't see self, do you? You never see self. You see a body. And the body reaffirms the idea of being a self. So the body plays an incredible role. Because if the self could get rid of the body, it has no love of the body. But it's, it's bound to it because that's what promotes its relevance. Yeah? So your little deals with the devil that you thought you were going to get this and that. All you're getting is bondage to, a, to an object called a body. And of course here, bodies come and go and they get old. So let's say all your hopes were pinned on being that beautiful prom queen when you're 18, but now you're 73. 
and you have the same mind of the prom queen. Yeah, you're wearing mini skirts and you know, it can get really crazy. I don't know. If the people don't have any idea how crazy they look, I don't know. But I mean I've seen some insane shit going on where people are trying to relive something they never had. Yeah. This isn't a this isn't under your control. You're an aspect of the mental process. Self is made up by the mental process. You're not having a mental process. There is no you to have anything. The mental process makes a sense of being a self. That's how it makes sense of this place, based on its identification as being a body. It makes sense of a world of separation and of things by having a thought that has risen to becoming a noun called you. And now life isn't seen as happening, but it's seen as happening to me. Yeah, to me is this. And all we're experiencing, all the little nagging problems and suffering, can all be brought back to this basic ignorance of the fact of what we are. Always gets, just like A says, you know, when someone steps on your toes and hurts you without provocation, you, if you look at it, you will invariably find you made a decision based on self. You will invariably, in other words, you'll basically always find that you made a decision based on self. What what's the biggest decision of all based on self is that you're it. So, of course, it deviates a little, but the same theme is all there all the time. So, we're just here to point out because there's nothing, in a sense, you and I need to do. It's just recognizing. That's why I love it's called an invitation. We're putting it into your mail slot. The first thing that will rush to try to read it is the head. The head will just look at the envelope. It just says, what did he mean? And I don't like that guy, this and that, and judged it. But hopefully if it opens it up, the message will come out of there. And it doesn't read the message. The message gets absorbed. Yes, something happens in the gut. And I don't mean the physical gut. But you know exactly what I'm pointing at. You know it. You don't know it the way you think you know it as I know this table, but you know prior to knowing. You know it because you are it. I know that. This is exactly how it hit me. When I heard this, there was a, a big aha in me, an unspoken yes. It was a done deal. I heard it. It was the last answer. That was it. It's finished. I explored it for a while. And I just kept listening and just sitting and entertaining and entertaining and entertaining. And then over time, I realized something had taken me over without even me knowing it. I believe. Huh? It's great. We, this is so awesome. This the choreography of this meeting is incredible. It's, it's unbelievable, really. It gets five stars every week. I mean, it's unbelievable what happens here. This space is so freaking beautiful for a space in this place. The the age and the silence and this, the timber of the silence in this house, this this uh, church is unbelievable. And we get to come in here. Every week, twice a week now. Jeez. Just entertain this. Entertain it, entertain it, entertain it. And then do whatever you think you need to do. Improve this thing. It needs a lot of improvement. Yeah. Meditate. Give you a better breathing. Whatever. Do whatever. But the idea that you are this and you're going to get something for this by doing that, now you've been, it's, you've been served. The spiritual subpoena. That's not so... And then do whatever you're drawn to do. 
sir. I'm going to have, I have got this, you know, I may have hypertension, a little blood pressure thing. So I, now I'm going to maybe have to meditate again. <laughs> I thought I was done with that. Now I'm going to have to do it for my health, maybe. Just sit down. <laughs> but before, I put up with fucking hell because I thought it was going to improve me. Now that's shot out of the water. Now it's just for the health of the body. Far out. Yeah? So much different. Then there's no pressure. Oh, I missed the meditation. So what? I've missed thousands of them. <laughs> Did it change anything? No. Still conscious. <laughs> it's a choicelessness. Choicelessness. What you are is choiceless. Yeah? A lion is a lion. No matter how much he believes it's a sheep, it's a lion. Yeah? It can live like a sheep, smell like a sheep, you know, worry about sweaters like a sheep, ba 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 like a sheep. You know, chew cud like a sheep. It doesn't change the fact that it's a lion. No matter how many years it lives as a sheep, it will not change the fact that it's a lion. That's what this is like. All there is is consciousness. All there is is spirit. You are that. No matter what occurs. And therefore, you can't win or lose this game. When all said and done, there's nothing other you can ever be other than you already are. This 80 years or 20 years of adamantly believing you're a body has no effect on what you are. It'll be done like that and all over. This isn't a race. You're not going to win. Yeah? And you're definitely not going to lose. All right. Hey, uh, what do we do now? Money. Yes, money. Support my lavish lifestyle. We're going to Mexico. We started out with great hopes of 30 people and it ended up with two. <laughs> Last year, we had another one in the desert. Great hopes of 20-something people. We ended up with two. So now we're going to start with two and see what happens. Then we'll end up with two. Huh? When we're going, we're going on Thursday, tomorrow. We'll be down there. Baja. You can come. Rosarita Beach. we got a two-bedroom apartment for two people. we got six room for six. Hmm? That's the whole thing that scared everyone off. That was the same story we had last year, too. Well, we're getting picked, by an, picked up by an armored car. Yeah. And actually, there's supposed to be an army camp right near the, the place. That's the guy told me today. In La Paloma, right? That's where I'm going? Yeah. So we got a guy picking us up in an armored car. Armored car. We get in. They hustle us in. We don't see any Mexicans or anyone. We get right there, go into the gated community, and there we go. And then we leave, and the same thing. Have no contact with Mexico whatsoever. But I can say I was in Mexico. <laughs> oh man, we're going. We're going. The only reason why we're going is because I didn't want to lose the money we bought the tickets for. Oh, we need a hat. Can we have your hat? We're going tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Well, we'll be there till uh, Monday night. We got four days. You come down there. We'll take care of you for a slight fee. No, we have four. We have uh, uh, two bedrooms. And a, and a bed in the living room. I well, hear they're nice, right? It's a two-bedroom. It has everything. You have laundry. You've got cooking, utensils, pools, hot tubs. And then you have me and my friend. We'll entertain you. We'll have talks and stuff. It's nothing. Well, just you have to throw money into the rent. The rent was $300 for the five days. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. 
But the armored car cost us some money. And the two guards on top. Watching. For gangsters. Drug dealers. We want to do it again sometime. I know we will. Well, we were planning to go to Costa Rica, and that fell through totally. Like, this guy always calls me up about our cult, our group, and I said, listen, you don't understand. This is like the gang that couldn't shoot straight. It's not, it's like the gang that can't shoot, period. It's not even straight. We very, have a very difficult time getting anything together. It took us like years to get a website, seriously. The first few guys I, I, who offered to do the website, they were all newcomers, and they ran, I gave them money, and they ran away with it. <laughs> Real. Finally, we got a website after years, and now someone's saying, why don't you write a book? Give me a break. That's like Mount Everest. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to write. Uh, how about, we'll do transcriptions and editing. Uh, see, I don't want to do anything. Right? You know, that's my in nature. We got shirts coming. We do. And even that guy flaked out. And he's not even in the program. He put it off two weeks. But it'll be, we'll have them next week. We're going to start our first. Our first shirt is a really cool dancing monk. It doesn't have Zen Bishlap on it. Because I think I stole this thing from some Zen thing. So I can't put Zen Bishlap on it. But it's a really nice shirt. We're going to have 36 of them. And then we're going we're gonna to do a Zen Bishlap shirt. And, a, and I have... I have a lot of ideas for t-shirts. So we're going to have a gallery on the website, and we are going to sell t-shirts. Yeah, we're going to do that. And if anyone needs a haircut, my haircut needs work. I'm going to start doing public announcements. So <laughs> if you have any employment or anything, we'll have a little five minutes of public announcing. We've got to support the group, man. People are having a hard time. Yeah, and I will, you know, now I drive a lady across the bridge. She, she's afraid of a bridge, you know. My friend called her up, told her, I, hey, maybe Paul would help you. So I drove her today. And then he told her that I'd do uh, dog care, which I never did. So now a whole new career is opening up. She wants me to take care of her dog. So I'm going to go, sure. <laughs> so I'm driving her across the bridge maybe twice a week. She can't handle it. It flips her out, you know. <laughs> It's a funny world where you're going to end up. <laughs> so if anyone has an idea, maybe this summer we'll you go somewhere, like not far. Let's do it. Like up in uh, up in the Tahoe or something. Rio. No, somewhere. So we won't. Uh, we will not be here on Monday night. This one and Saturdays we're not going to have the meeting just in case. And then we'll be back. We'll be here Wednesday, though. Right. We love you. Yeah. Right. So the wee version of the Serenity Prayer. God, God grant us serenity, serenity. And accept the things we cannot change. Courage and change.